Thank you, Encounter Band. Thank you, Encounter Band. Okay, friends, we are in a sermon series on the book of Acts. We are, this is our third week, uh, and we're going to start going really, really quickly. This is one of those that we probably need to go back and do a semester over just because there are so many different great stories that are happening in Acts. We're going to go fast. Uh, and things are starting to happen. So what we started with, if you go back and listen on the website, we started with Pentecost, with the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. And this commission, all of these terrified apostles, all of a sudden filled with the Holy Spirit, became brave. And they went out and they, were, they preached and 3,000 came to faith that first day. And the church grew and grew and grew. And it was centered in Jerusalem. And so last week we talked about the mission as it, as it appeared in Jerusalem. And so that famous story, silver and gold, have I not? And then the interactions with the religious leaders, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, we covered all of that last week. And then the event that pushed people out of Jerusalem was the martyrdom of Stephen. And that was where we ended last week. Stephen was uh, the first deacon, the first martyr of the church. Stephen was arrested. Uh, he preached the gospel to the religious leaders. And then as he was preaching, he got very, very personal. And they were so mad at him, they dragged him out and stoned him. And he became the first martyr of the church. And famously, um, a guy named Saul, who was the up-and-coming uh, star of the star of the rabbinical students, um, Actually, they weren't called rabbis at that point. They were called Pharisees. So the up-and-coming Pharisee, Saul, uh, stood by and held people's cloaks as they were stoning Stephen to death. Um, which just, you know, just as a note, there are certain times in your life where if you find yourself there, you know you've gone wrong. Uh, and maybe, like, looking approvingly on the illegal murder of a person for whatever reason, that's, like, one goal, like signpost, that maybe you've gone wrong somewhere. Um, and that's, so that's where Saul was. Saul was holding the cloaks of the people who were stoning Stephen. And that sparked uh, a great persecution against the Christians. So this was the first kind of real backlash we see against Christianity. And it was official. So Saul led the way, going door to door, um, arresting people, taking them to uh, the, the high priests. And as you might expect, that also sparked a great exodus from Jerusalem. So all of these people from across, these pilgrims from around the world that had come into Jerusalem for Pentecost, that had been converted to Christianity, um, or convert, at that point there wasn't a separation between Christianity and Judaism, but they'd, been, they'd become believers in Jesus. They joined the church at that point. They were all in Jerusalem together. Once they started killing people, they thought it was a good time to go home. And so they would all leave, but this was what, this is what sparked the growth of the church. So what happened after this is this message that had been centered in Jerusalem starts to go back to the ends of the earth. Remember, these pilgrims were faithful Jews from all over, and as they leave Jerusalem, they start taking the message with them. Now, 
Why do they need to take the message to the ends of the earth? Now, that's what we're going to get to today. This is, um, this is the greatest twist in the story that we're going to see in the entire course of the Bible. And it's a twist that we, saw, <laughs> that we know now. It's been preached to us so often that this is old news. But what I'm going to try to get across is how absolutely revolutionary this was absolutely revolutionary. This was a twist that was even bigger than the twist of God bringing back someone from the dead. God had raised people from the dead before, but this kind of new thing that God started doing, nobody was expecting it. Nobody was expecting it. And of course, that new thing was inviting the Gentiles into the covenant that God had originally only made with the Jewish people. So we're going to pick this up at um, another dramatic part in the story that I'm sure you've all heard about. This is when Saul decides he wants to take his arresting of the Christians to the next level, and so he goes to this place called Damascus. You know where we're going with this? Anyone heard the story before? Yeah. Yeah! So this is what happens. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Um, by the way, it actually, so it says in the Greek, both men and women, and it says multiple times that when Saul goes around, he arrests both men and women, which is one of the evidences that in the early church, men and women were both leading because you, don't, you wouldn't arrest somebody. So normally when Romans wouldn't arrest somebody, they would only arrest the men because the men were the only ones who were threatened. So the only reason you would arrest the women is if they were threatening to you. Um, and so that's part of what we see in the beginning. So Saul is going and arresting both men and women and taking them to prison. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but they saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now what happens in Damascus? So he's blind for three days, and then God calls a disciple named Ananias, um, and Ananias comes and he says, I want you to go pray with this guy named Saul. And Ananias is like, are you like the same Saul I've heard about? Because that's like a bad idea, Jesus. You've had some good ideas. This one's a bad one. Uh, and, he, and God basically says, I know what I'm doing. Go and pray with Saul, which tells you a little bit about the radical trust that was not only normalized, but expected in the early church. So if, if, if the Holy Spirit shows up and tells you to do something, including praying, going and praying for the arch persecutor of the church, you ask a question and then you just go do it. You just go do it, right? So that's what we're seeing throughout Acts is the, the, the norm of faith in the early church is what we would call radical today. So Ananias goes to Saul and he prays with him. And then it says that um, 
the scales fell off of his eyes, which is something like scabs, and he could see again. And Saul realizes he has been very, very wrong. And so he gets baptized, he takes some food, and then the next thing he does, this is great, he goes to the synagogues and he starts preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. Literally the day after the scales fell off his eyes, he walks to the synagogues and he'd gotten these letters of, <laughs> he'd gotten these letters of recommendation, right? So he hands his letter to the synagogue, he stands up and he's like, Jesus was sent from God. <laughs> Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus was raised from the dead. And everyone is sitting there staring at him going, what? What happened? And so he keeps preaching. And word gets back to the disciples. And the disciples are like, oh, it's a trick. This is a trick. This is some, somebody is up to no good. He's trying to pull a fast one on us. And they send Barnabas to go check him out. Barnabas meets with him and he goes, no, this is real. God just did something big. And I don't know why God did it, but God just did something big, and this is real. So that's, that's the first big story that happens, and that is related to the second big story we're going to talk about today. And that is about a guy named Peter. Now, Peter was the rock of the early church. Um, Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus, following Jesus everywhere he went. Uh, Peter also famously failed Jesus when he promised to be with him at the crucifixion and then left because he was scared of the questions of a serving girl. And now Peter has been the primary character in this, in this book so far. I mean, through the Holy Spirit, obviously. But Peter has been the one preaching. Peter has been first and foremost in all of the mission in Jerusalem and all of the preaching to the Jews. And then this happens. Acts chapter 10. So in Caesarea, there was a Gentile named Cornelius who got a vision saying, I want you to go and ask Peter to come to your house. And so Cornelius goes and sends some messengers to Peter. And this is what happens to Peter. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, that word trance is a bit of a strong word. It probably means like reverie, like a kind of a dreamlike, you know, you're halfway between waking and sleeping. You're looking out at the Mediterranean. You're thinking about dinner. Um, he fell into this kind of dreamlike state, and he saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air, then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is unclean. So in the Jewish law, he would not have been able to eat um, quite a lot of food because that was part of the Mosaic law, being able to follow kosher laws and, be, and only eating what is clean. And so he says, I've never eaten anything unclean. This whole sheet that's in front of him is full of what the Jews considered unclean animals. Uh, the voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call unclean. This happened three times, and the thing was taken into heaven. Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of this vision that he'd seen. Suddenly, the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house, and they were standing at the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there, and Peter was still thinking about the vision, and the Spirit said to him, look, Three men are searching for you. Get up, go down, go with them without hesitation, 
for I have sent them. So Peter went down and went with them. So what happens next is Peter goes with these men. He goes to the house of Cornelius. He goes, he discovers it's a Gentile, and all of a sudden he gets what this vision is about. So God had lowered the sheet saying, look, this is clean. And Peter, a good Jewish boy, was like, no, 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 nope, this is a trick. That's not clean. <laughs> I know my scriptures. I know the law. That is not clean. And then God says three times, what God has called clean, you must not call unclean. And that same day, he goes to the house of a Gentile, and all of a sudden he gets it. What God has called clean, you must not call unclean. And so he goes into the house of the Gentile, which was forbidden under Jewish law. He goes into the house of the Gentile. He preaches the gospel, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them even before they're baptized. While they are preaching, the Holy Spirit comes upon that family of Gentiles. They are the first Gentiles we brought into the church. And all of a sudden, Peter realizes that this gospel that is being proclaimed is bigger than Judaism. And so from then on, the mission to the Gentiles start. And Saul, who was converted back into Damascus, is actually sent out as a primary missionary to the Gentiles, which is why we know him as Paul. There actually wasn't a switch Saul and Paul at the conversion. Paul is the Gentile form of Saul. The same way if you had a Hispanic preacher who's called Juan and he comes to preach in the United States, he might go by John. It's the same thing. As soon as Paul, Saul started preaching to the Gentiles, they called him Paul. And because his whole life was preaching to the Gentiles, we remember him as Paul. Okay, now I've put these two stories together for a reason. Because these two stories tell us together a couple of really, really, really important things about our place in the story and about what God's mission is all about. And I want to draw out especially two, two common things I see in this story because I think they're so, so important for us to remember. And the first one is this. Both of these are instances when very faithful and very devout and very well-educated religious people got it really, really wrong. Really wrong. And I, the reason that is important to remember is that this is, this is the beginning of our history, right? This is the beginning of our story. And for the next thousand, couple thousand years, the people in Jesus' name are going to be the ones standing up and preaching things and saying things and making proclamations and speaking for God. And by goodness, we are supposed to do that. And yet, at the very beginning of our story are these examples of very faithful, very devout people who were doing what they thought they were supposed to do, and they were wrong. And I think what that is supposed to instill in us is a sense of humility and self-reflection and awareness that God can show up and correct us sometimes. And if we ever become people who are too hardened in heart for God to show up and correct us, then we're not going to be Paul. We're not going to be Peter. We're going to be the Pharisees who were holding stones over Stephen's head because he was too threatening to them. We're going to be the wrong people in the story. What these stories teach us is that a necessary part of discipleship is a softness of heart that allows self-reflection that eventually leads us sometimes to repentance. Now, why is that so important, friends? Repentance is not and never will be easy. It is not and never will be easy. Because you are living the life you live because you think you're right. 
And that's not, of course you are, right? You'd be a hypocrite if you weren't. You're living the life you live because you think you're right. You're doing the things you do because you think you're right. And when Jesus shows up to you and Jesus says, by the way, you've got it wrong here, it is never easy <laughs> to eat your humble pie and to actually change course. You know, some people, I've heard some people say, well, if God showed up to me the way God showed up to Saul, surely I'd do that. Would you? Really? If you are a Republican in here and Jesus showed up and said, I don't want you to vote that way this year, or vice versa, if you're a Democrat in here and Jesus showed up and said, I don't want you to vote this way this year, half of you would tell him to leave. Because in our day and age, our political ideology is the idolatry of our age. It is the idolatry of our age. And it's not just that. Maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you don't care about that. But I'll bet you you can think of something else in your life. I'll bet you can think of something else in your life that you hold so dearly and so closely that if Jesus showed up and said, you know what, I want you to think differently about this, you would tell him to leave the room no matter if it meant you stayed blind the rest of your life. The truth is, Peter changed and Paul changed, but that change was not a foregone conclusion. You don't know how many people Jesus showed up to that didn't make it into Acts, right? You don't know how many people Jesus showed up to that heard the words, that saw the vision and said, nope, I'm doing it my way. I'm doing it my way. Friends, the danger forever, the danger of faithful people, and I don't use that term derogatively, being a faithful person is what we are supposed to do, but the danger of faith, being a faithful person, of being a devout person, is that we would place our feet in our own ideas of what is right and not in our relationship with God that allows God to forever be changing us and be forever be transforming us and the problem is placing our feet on our own ideas of what is right places our feet on our righteousness. And unfortunately, I'm here to tell you that your righteousness is not enough. It never has been and it never will be. You are not here because you are right. You are not here because you are righteous. You are here because Jesus was righteous. You are here because God called you, because God saved you, because God wants to use you. And the more you allow God into your life, the more you become more like God, the more you think more like God. And yes, in the grand terms of things, that means you, the more you're going to be right. But the more you are right in God's minds, in, uh, the more you are right in the sense of being like God, the less it is going to look like the Pharisees holding stones over the face of, of um, I just forgot his name, Stephen. The less it's going to look like Pharisees holding stones at Stephen and the more it's going to look like Paul going out, standing up in front of people and saying, guess what, guys? I was wrong. I was wrong. And you know it's Jesus because the joy with which you will proclaim you are wrong is a joy that you never had when you thought you were right. Friends, I, please hear me. I am not here to tell you what God is going to speak to you, at least not right now, but I am here to tell you that whoever you are, whatever you believe, 
God, when you let him in, is going to start to move you and it's going to start to change you and going to start to challenge you. And no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been faithful, no matter how much you're trying to do it right, God's going to find things in you that he wants to challenge and he wants to change and he wants to transform. And the life of faith, the life of following this Jesus, the life of proclaiming this Jesus, is the life of maintaining a softness of heart and the humility that allows God to actually come in and show up and say, you know what, I love you, and you're really wrong. You're really wrong. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing that, that ties these two stories together, and this is going to kind of propel us into the second half of Acts, because this is the entire rest of the book. The second thing that happens is that the Jews discover that this blessing was not just for them. The Jews discovered that this blessing was not just for them. So Peter and Saul were both deeply faithful Jewish people who knew their Jewish Bibles very well. And when Jesus raised from the dead and they started realizing what God had doing, was doing and they went back and reread all the scriptures, they saw, wow, this is what God had planned all along. This is what God had planned all along. This, the Messiah was supposed to suffer. It was never supposed to be a physical king. It was supposed to be a spiritual king. This, the covenant with David is going to be fulfilled with, with Jesus sitting on the throne of David forever. All this is making sense now. But they did not put two and two together that back when God made the covenant with Abraham, it was twofold. And the covenant was this, I will bless you and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And maybe they did remember that, but they thought, well, the more we get blessed, there's going to be a trickle down effect, <laughs> right? The more we get blessed the more these blessings are just going to go out because, because then when we rule the world, the Gentiles will benefit. And then with these two stories, we see that that was not what God had in mind at all. It was not that God was going to bless and raise just the Jews. It was that God was going to bring salvation to the world through the Jewish people, through the covenant. And God was going to make a new covenant that invited everybody. Now, we have lived with that so much that it's old news, it's old hat. In fact, every single one of us are Gentile Christians. Every single one of us are here that are Gentile Christians. We don't even think about it anymore. I want you to put yourself back into those early days because I want you to understand the revolutionary worldview shift this would have required because what it's fundamentally saying is I thought my faith was about me but in fact, it is not. In fact, my entire people exist to bless others. My entire faith, my entire community, my entire people exist to bless others. That is a massive, radical worldview shift that happened in Acts 10 and going on, and we're going to deal with the ramifications for the rest of the book. But you know what happened after that? The Gentile Christians got in, and started thinking, well, my faith is just to bless me. My faith is just to bless my community. I can't tell you the number of books I've read about how to pray so that God brings blessing into your life. And you know what? My heart breaks a little bit when I read those books because I know they're, they're read by hurting people, right? They're read by people who, who, who need Jesus, who need something, 
and I have a lot of sympathy for that. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing wrong with praying for yourself. The problem is God does not seem to be in this to bless us unless blessing us is going to facilitate the blessing of others. I read a book the other day. I didn't read the whole book. I read the back of a book the other day (laughs) that claimed to teach you how to be able to dream about winning lottery numbers. If you get enough in touch with God, God will teach you how to dream the winning lottery. You see why I read the back of the book. I was like, this is fascinating. No one ever taught me this. (laughs) Do you know the dream we see in Acts? When Peter dreams, it is not about how to make his life easier. It is not about how to make his business succeed. It is about how to reach people that God wanted to reach. Friends, if you come to Jesus wanting Jesus to fix your life, he will. At least he'll do it in his way. But as soon as he starts doing it, he's going to open a channel whereby by fixing you and helping you, he's going to help someone else. That's the way he works, right? He is never going to bless you and have it stop with you. He's going to bless you in a way that it flows through you to somebody who is a believer or to somebody who is not a believer, to somebody who is close to God or to someone who's hurting. The way God works is he does sometimes give blessings because he uses those blessings to go through the person and bless the world. And friends, if we are here to get stuff for ourselves, we're in the wrong place. That's not how God works. In fact, the remainder of this story is not how to win friends and influence people. It's how to get yourself killed by the Romans. In the very next chapter, or two chapters later, Saul is on, uh, Saul, who's started going by Paul at that point, is on a missionary journey. And he's with Barnabas. And he upsets people so much they stone him. And the underwriting in Acts is brilliant. They stone him. They take him outside the city. He, they leave and he gets up and walks away, which is either the miracle of God bringing him back from the dead or the miracle of God fixing a million broken bones at the same time because nobody who has been thought dead is able to get up and walk away. But God didn't protect him from the stoning, right? God raised him from the dead after the stoning. Peter was saved from prison. In fact, the story is hilarious. Peter thinks he's dreaming. He's sleeping between two guards in this maximum security prison. He sees a vision of an angel who says, get up, kicks him, put on your clothes. And Peter's like, okay, this is a great dream. Walks out, sees the door opening, walks out. He's like, wow, this is a great dream. And it's not until they're in the middle of the street, halfway to his house, the angel goes away that he realizes it's not a dream. And God had got him out of prison. But you know what? God let him go to prison to begin with. And God did not ultimately get him out of prison every single time. Most of the people that we see in this book lost their lives. Not to old age. Most of the people that we see in this book eventually were beheaded or crucified or killed. Most of the people that we see in this book, from a worldly perspective, lost everything. Had a failure of a life. Had a failure. Their homes were not on HGTV. 
Their businesses were not big. They did not create fortunes that they passed down to their children. Most of the people that we see in this book, if we saw them today, we would call them failures by the world standards. But it's because God doesn't go by the world standards. And if you want to be blessed by God, you would better start looking at blessing by God's standards. If you want to be used by God, you need to start looking at being used by God's standards. God wants to use you. God wants to use us, but only when we are ready to bless the world. Only when we are ready to bless the world. And so I wonder, we can, we can do all kinds of things thinking about us as a community, but I wonder, thinking about you, how much time do you spend thinking, praying for people in your life who need God in some way? For people in your life who are who, who desperately need love, acceptance, forgiveness, something, reconciliation, healing? How much of your mental energy is spent on you? How much of your mental energy is spent on the people God has placed you to serve? Because it's not until we get the right, the right flip on those numbers that we're going to find ourselves in the true act story. When God shows up, when he does miracles, when he provides blessings, when he tells us to do things, when he sends his angels, when he sends his spirit, it gets wonderful, it gets brilliant, it gets exciting. But only for people who want to be a part of that story instead of their own story. And so this week, as you go throughout the week, I wonder, I wonder, I want you to catch yourself. When you pray, how often do you pray for yourself? How often do you pray for others? When you worry, how often are you worried about yourself? How often are you worried about others? When you are thinking about what you have been blessed with, with your resources, how often are you thinking about what to do for yourself? How often are you, how does it burden your heart, the people around you? And if Jesus were to show up, and if Jesus were to say, I got a job for you, I got a role for you, would you be Paul? Would you be Peter? Or would you just not appear in the book at all? Would you join me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, out of the chaos of the world, you've called us into your story and into your people. Forgive us, we pray. There are so many times when, there are so many times when you've invited us into something greater than ourselves and we've had not have time for it. We've been too self-centered. We've been too self-righteous. We've been too right. So forgive us. Forgive us when we've stood on our own righteousness instead of the blood of Jesus. Forgive us when we have wanted blessings for ourselves instead of wanting to be a conduit for others. Forgive us when we have dreamt of winning the lottery instead of dreaming of blessing the world. Forgive us, we pray. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us to be your hands and your feet in the world. This we pray as we say together the prayer our Lord taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.